Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, episode 37 of the Sports Nuts and Beer Guts podcast. Your host, Logan Bryant, back with you for another week. We've got Chris Collette coming in as usual and coming out of the bullpen. Another first timer keeping the streak alive, Mr. James Francois. James, got the best a- last name, the best hair, and the first Vandy fan ever on the pod. How goes it? Uh, well, for the record, I'm not, I'm not a Vanderbilt fan. Uh, I'm actually kind of what you would call the exact opposite of a Vanderbilt fan, but I'm good, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Quarantine is, uh, I'm very bored, probably much like Vanderbilt fans every time they have to watch their team play. Um, have you put, have you put on your, uh, quarantine 15 yet? Um, yeah, yeah, I would call it. I mean, I don't know if we're north of 15 yet, but we're definitely not south. <laughs> good call well episode 37 we're bringing you the sean alexander of podcast today one of the greatest nfl talents to come out of kentucky we probably have sean alexander um sean alexander and tim Mastey. he <laughs> uh, <laughs> played for the Packers. Chris, you got any other 37s in your uh, in the back of your Rolodex I, there? I do. We got the Baltimore Ravens, primetime, Deion Sanders. Uh, I don't think Deion Sanders was primetime with the Ravens. <laughs> I don't remember Sanders in a Ravens jersey, but I cannot. Uh, I feel like it's kind of like Shaq when he was with the Suns. That's not exactly primetime. Shaqtus. <laughs> the Shaqtus. Um, tonight, we're going to talk uh, – today, we're going to talk a little um, – NFL draft will be the bulk of the show, but we're going to recap the uh, first couple episodes of The Last Dance. We've actually got some sports stuff going on today, so we're going to jump into it. Gentlemen, I assume you guys have watched The Last Dance. Anything has uh, popped out to you there, Chris? Um, Jerry Krause, man. What a hated guy. Oh, people uh, didn't like him? I I mean, I not all of us are gray-haired and mid to late 30s uh, around here so uh one of, of us is though i know so some of us weren't around for the uh that 96 to 98 uh bulls run this the second three-peat they had uh so i really i didn't know any of the backstory about it and uh jerry Krause comes off looking like a complete dumbass uh i was blown away at the uh blatant disrespect everybody showed him and <laughs> as the owner of the team i i don't know how you just keep the guy like i we, weird situation weird dynamic there so that was eye-opening uh i was never scotty pippen fan uh growing up uh always thought he was overrated he just uh oh. rode jordan's coattails uh because he was named like one of the 50 greatest players of all time and, and that's generally when a lot of the hate started was when he was named one of the, one of the 50 greatest players of all yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that that was, it wasn't his fault. He was named that. Uh, but the documentary shed some light on his personal life. So I kind of understand where he's coming from and some things. And uh, I loved his attitude about that 98 season uh, <laughs> where he's like, yeah, I'm not going to screw up my summer for this. Uh, I'll just have it when the season starts. Uh, this talking about surgery. Uh, I lo- that's the Chris Collett attitude right there. So, <laughs> very Prof much Scotty. So. Uh, yeah, those are my two biggest takeaways. Were probably those two. Yeah, uh, Twitter was a buzz at uh, Scotty Pippen basically uh, getting paid peanuts to play 
for the Bulls there for a bit. Um, his wife came to his defense. I don't know if you guys saw it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> James, she quickly posted that uh, Scotty <laughs> Pippen's career NBA earnings were higher than Michael Jordan's. Says that she thinks her husband did okay. <laughs> she said, "Young stop." She said something like, "Young stop worrying about Scotty now." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, well, that's fair." <laughs> James, any big takeaways for you on the last dance? Yeah. So for me, the, the one thing, two things that stood out to me were, I think how much Jordan realized he could do it by himself, but for them to be exactly as good as they could be for them to be the best version of themselves that they could be. They had to have Scotty. There's several times in there where he says, you know, when you speak MJ, you speak Pippen, you know, and he talks about, uh, one of the things he expressed frustration with is that Scotty elected to have that surgery um, <laughs> right before the season instead of doing it right after the season. He's, he was upset about that. And for Jordan, I think we all, if you've ever followed him, I mean, all of us have, you know that his biggest thing is like he's in your face, like you're going to be the best you can be because I'm the best that I can be at all times. So that was the biggest thing for me is that I, I truly like, and it made me appreciate Scotty more to see Jordan appreciate Scotty. And then, yeah, I mean, it is the five foot four elephant in the room that's impossible to ignore. Uh, Jerry Krause, man, I mean, your job is as easy as just walking into the stadium and watching it happen. Like, that's all you have to do. Imagine Tom Moore coming up to Peyton Manning and just being like, yeah, I think we should run the read option. And I just don't think you're the guy to do that. So we're going <laughs> to trade out of this. We're going to trade you or something like that. Um, for Kraus to just not be able to – I mean, like, he tells Phil Jackson during their 73-win season or whatever, or 72-win season, this is your last year as the Bulls head coach. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> he was a baseball scout. For he Tim Floyd. scout that walked into the office and just said – yeah, I'd like to be the GM of your basketball team, sir. And, I mean, they just said, yeah, sure, why not? You seem like yeah. It's just, it just blows my mind. Like, he almost walked in off the street and they did the job. So, those are the biggest things for me. I can't wait to see the next couple episodes. From my understanding, I think one of them is supposed to be on Rodman. So, uh, watch yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little surprised, and I wish ESPN would have just dumped all of them. I mean, we're all waiting for something Thank to watch you. now. Just dump them all. Um, go the Netflix route and just dump everything you got right now. Um, my biggest thing, and I always just like these throwbacks that go back to you know the reality of what the NBA was like back in the day. Because, I mean, my dad's one of these who I think misremembers the NBA uh, <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know he he's he's big on they played defense back then there was true hate back then they didn't it wasn't aau friendships and stuff and i'm like michael jordan's playing golf and playing cards with guys that he's in a series against the night before a game like it wasn't all cutthroat i'm gonna break your ankle and things um that you know we like to we like to make fun of lebron and other superstars for having friends in the in the league um, but I, I think it's well done. I think it's good. You can totally see Jordan's fingerprints on everything. I would love to get the undisclosed, no Michael Jordan, um, take on, on some stuff, but everything that's ever come out, it's always had his fingerprint, but he's the central figure. You got to get inside his head and you can't do it without him. So I guess you got to give him that. But guys, we got NFL draft coming up tomorrow night, round can't. one. 
Um, I was super excited for the whole Vegas experience. The uh, the the picks coming in boats, um, you know, <laughs> those things floating around. We were hoping to get friend of the podcast Brandon Peak to be driving one of the boats that he had he had applied for that job out there in Vegas. Um, I was I was looking for the spectacle that would be some poor mama falling in the the Bellagio pool there and getting soaked. But instead, we're going for another spectacle this year, guys. NFL is con- consistently said they are going to have their season on time, on schedule. So they're running their draft. Um, all these GMs have their draft bunkers basically in their house. The NFL commissioner's doing it from his own basement. Um, Chris, are you more or less likely to watch the draft this year, knowing it's all remotely all online? I am more likely to watch it. And it's more so because... Um, I pay like $55 a, a month for YouTube TV and which I don't use right now for anything. My wife has a handful of shows she watches on it. So it's like, whatever, if it wasn't for her, I would cancel it right now. But, uh, I'm desperate to watch something besides Netflix. So because <laughs> of that, I will probably watch the seventh round of the draft as long as I'm not on the golf course. So, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the Matt Hickman philosophy. I think he only, he only keeps his YouTube TV or it's one of those during football season. Oh yeah. He does the uh, August to December and it's gone. Yeah. yeah and, and I've always thought that seems kind of weird, but then like times like this and I'm like, I'm literally sitting home, not doing anything, but watching TV and it's Netflix, it's Amazon prime. It's, you know, I'm not right. watching a whole lot of cable. Um, James more or less watching the draft this year. Oh, I've never been more excited to watch a draft in my entire life. Um, When there's a car wreck and you feel really bad about what you've just seen, but at the same time, you just can't not look at it like a train wreck that you just can't like take your eyes off of. I'm really excited about this. I think you're going to see somebody leave the webcam on when they go to the bathroom. I think you're going to see like – Somebody get kicked off because their kid's playing Warzone or Fortnite or something like that. Yeah. Just hear, yeah, I think there's going to be some version of Will Ferrell from um, Wedding Crashers where it's like, Mom, the meatloaf is like, Hey, <laughs> get them off. Like, I, I'm so excited to see it. Um, That's yeah. basically me every Wednesday night when we record to my wife. <laughs> But no, the biggest thing for me is I think it's going to be really, uh, I was thinking about it with the last dance. Those are like the only times in the last couple of months where we have collectively watched something happen together. You know, like there's not been football, there's not been baseball, there's not been sporting events happening in real time. Are you time. telling me you're not watching Trump's press conferences every day? I, um, you know, I catch the clips on, uh, on Twitter. I, I think I get, you know, the base amount of information that I need to, uh, about China from, um, from Twitter. So yeah, I don't, I don't really tune into those live. I just wait for the uh, highlight reel, I guess is the appropriate way to phrase that. I'm, uh, I'm interested to see, I'm definitely watching the first round like I do every year. And then honestly, depending on how the first round goes, will depend on how much more I watch. Um, I generally watch a little bit of day two if I'm not doing anything on Friday night. And then Saturday, I just kind of get the alerts when the Bengals picks come in um, or Kentucky player gets drafted or something like that. But if it's a train wreck night one, I might be glued for three days watching this NFL draft. Um, cause it's guys, just going to get worse, too. Yes, it's, it's inevitable. Because everybody it's, knows what they're doing round one. 
I, to an extent. I can't wait for Bill O'Brien to take a tight end in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, Bill O'Brien's most likely to get auto drafted a punter at some point, right? Like he's oh it's, it's incredible. Come. Um, I mean, it's inevitable that some teams having technical difficulties. I don't know if you guys saw the NFL did a, uh, I think it was two or three days ago, did like a trial run and they had a problem receiving the Bengals first overall pick for the draft. (laughs) (laughs) That's got to be great. It's not going to work out. Um, There was one commentator who she was um, interviewing a GM that she decided not to name and said during their phone interview, their Skype interview, uh, he lost bandwidth because, as James mentioned, his kids were playing Fortnite, and so he had to kick the kids off the internet to then go back to it. Um, it's it's going to be amazing, and these GMs don't have their full team of you know fourteen yeah. scouts, coaches, and everybody in the room because they're all quarantined. Um, so I I actually love it. I think you're going to get more individual thinking. You're not going to have the group think because they weren't all sitting there. Um, you know, they didn't have the last month or two to all get an idea of this team likes this guy, this team likes this guy. Um, so which team is it that's going to have – I mean, I think there's two pretty solid answers here. But, yes. Chris, which teams are going to have the most technical difficulties? I, I assume your two teams are obviously the Houston Texans. We <laughs> shit on Bill O'Brien for the last 37 episodes. We aren't stopping now. <laughs> and the New York football giants oh, have to be the other one. 69-year-old uh, Dave, Dave Gettleman. <laughs> yeah. One of those two. Oh. I mean, I don't know. Good. Did either of you see the picture that the Giants put out? Uh, yes. Uh, it's 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 Dave Gettleman and he's sitting like sitting at a computer. And like the only thought that I get from that picture is I'm like, I would bet you don't know how to turn it on. Oh yeah. I mean, the, so all the teams GMs sent out their like war room pictures. Dave Gettleman is 69 year old with like a, an 11 inch laptop and the biggest three ring binder I've ever seen on his little yeah. desk. Compare that to guys like John Lynch in San Francisco. He had six screens, three phones and an IT staffer at his shoulder the entire time. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw this week, but former players are coming out uh, and basically comparing Dave Gettleman to Jerry Krause. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> there's there's been three or four players that have come out and said that that's who he reminded them of. Uh, uh, was Steve Smith one of those guys? I didn't see it, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> it's got a be lot Steve of Panthers Smith or guys. Josh Norman. <laughs> no, Chris. The other one I was thinking of is the Redskins. Well, the Redskins only have six front office executives. Most teams have eight to ten. Some even have twelve. They don't have a GM. Um, and the guy who's running their draft for them, their vice president of player personnel, is a 35-year-old guy whose claim to fame, according to Wikipedia, is that he was a wide receiver at Youngstown State. Um, never heard of the guy, but he's he's running it for him. Uh, I sure can't, it's not Daniel I, Snyder running it for him. <laughs> well, Daniel Snyder's making the picks, but I think it's going to be a situation where he calls this guy and is like, Yes, I would like to take three quarterbacks here. <laughs> what are the What are the odds that Dan Snyder calls in Bruce Allen? Was it Bruce Allen? Was that the guy's name that yeah, was the GM? Um, yeah. What are the odds he calls in Bruce Allen? And be like, hey, we need some help here. You want to help me out again? Oh, I'm I would sure guarantee you. I would guarantee you. Snyder still has Bruce Allen's board. Absolutely. I, 
Yes, I was going to say, I guarantee he did not let him go until he had a private investigator take that dude's draft board before he let him go. Um, the reason I know this 35-year-old dude isn't any good is because if he was a 35-year-old football genius, he wouldn't risk his career with the Redskins. Um, so there's no way this guy is any good. He has no experience. Redskins, Giants, Texans. Browns. Yeah. you got to throw the Browns in there just for shits and giggles. <laughs> I like Dasmus, I think Deepadest is not bad. It's just the Browns thing. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Browns suck. Um, guys, we're not going to go through all the positions or, or all the players. Nobody wants to hear that. Definitely um, not. But we could be looking at, you know, consensus is probably three quarterbacks in the top five, top six picks. Um I think the first one to go, I think we can all assume the Bengals are taking Joe Burrow, right? Uh, for your yeah. sake, I hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even care if the guy's the next Joe Montana or not. They'll burn but, that city to the ground. But the Bengals have to do it. It's a surefire pick. They don't have to think about it. They just pick the guy. Um, I mean, he's a hometown guy, so you can, you know, as long as he's successful, I mean, they can re-sign him make millions of dollars off you having him as quarterback. It, 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 it could be a great relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's no brainer. Joe's going to be a, a sponsor for skyline chili. Um, it'll be, <laughs> I don't know much about the people of Cincinnati. Oh, Joe hates skyline chili. Not a fan. It's, it's, um, it's what's supposed to happen after you eat, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, so the next two we got on the board guys, we got two, uh, and James, do you want to spell or pronounce his last name for me? Tonga Vailoa. Thank you, sir. Um, so two of that guy and Oregon, uh, the Oregon quarterback, Justin Herbert. Chris, which one goes next after Burrow? I think it's going to be Herbert and only because of the coronavirus stuff, people not being able to see the actual medicals of Tua. I think that. The medicals are going to scare people off. Two is the better quarterback. I don't think anybody in their right mind would argue that. Uh, but two is medicals are uh, are less than exciting to look at. So when you're looking at quarterbacks, I mean, it doesn't do much good to have a good quarterback that can't stay on the field. So for that reason, and Herbert has all these football guys that are just like, ooh, man, look at this guy. He He's 6'4". He has a strong arm. Uh, it's kind of an old school white way of thinking. First, look at, look at Tua. He's what six one, if that. Six, yeah. yeah. He's six foot two seventeen. Herbert yeah. six six two thirty. Um, but Pro Football Focus um, said, and let me quote: "I don't think he can play. Honestly, he can't play." In talking about Herbert's um, accuracy issues, basically he missed almost twenty percent of open wide receivers. Um, he still had a decent. Uh, percentage. I think he threw for like 60 some percent with Oregon and pro football focus basically just said, Hey, this is just because of the scheme they run. Um, he had to look at one guy and throw it to him, but they think he's a wildly inaccurate passer who won't be any good. Tua has been named the left-handed Drew Brees. James, who gets picked uh, next after bro? You think it's Herbert or you think it's Tua? So it's a combination of things, you know, Herbert, which I'm higher on Herbert than a lot of people are. Uh, I really am. 
I think when you look at what he's got and you look at what the two guys ahead of him have had, uh, skill position, offensive line, they're vastly different, um, vastly different skill sets that he's working with. I love Herbert. I do. I think had he gone in last year's draft, he might have been closer to the top if he was going to go in next year's draft. He could have been number one. Yeah. Yeah, he could have been number one. Last year. Yeah, last why year. Why didn't he come out last year? I don't remember. Um. I'm trying to think of what last year's quarterback class was. I I I, le- I do legitimately think the it thing wasn't great. He is, just, I mean, Daniel Jones went number four. Yeah, is I the thinking on it was I think is that he would develop for a year and he would get better. Um, all these guys send off for draft grades and information and things like that. So I think he got some of the feedback probably that we're seeing now. I mean, it's like you said, it was. It, it wasn't just – and I know these, this exact stat you're talking about. It wasn't just that he missed 20% or 15% or whatever it was of open receivers. They were uncatchable passes by right, either right. the offense or the defense. So, I mean, um, I do think that there is a room for guys who are athletic and big and have strong arms like that. Uh, one of them currently plays for the Buffalo Bills. And if you had to ask me which one I would take, truthfully, I I probably would. I would lean Herbert. You put him in the same draft, I'd take Herbert, I think. Um, I do not I do think Tua goes first. I think you possibly see him go back-to-back. Uh, I think you could – I don't believe the Chargers will pull the trigger if this happens, but I don't see how the Dolphins pass on Tua. Um, and if I was the Chargers, I would take Herbert. But, no, I think Tua goes first. Then I think Herbert goes. Um, Herbert's going to go in the first round. I definitely think he goes in the top 15. I just don't uh, – I don't see him going over Tua. I don't think that the medicals are going to be a big issue. Um, as far as the comparison goes to Drew Brees, that's a big thing because of how efficient he is as a passer and how active it is as a passer. And I agree with it. He's college football's most efficient passer ever. But – his arm is bigger than Breeze. Uh, Breeze was always deadly accurate, had a lot of touch on the ball. Tua can actually kind of sling it down the field more so than I think um, um, Drew Breeze probably could. But that's where I'm at on who. So would you say like a non-athletic Russell Wilson? I would say a not as athletic Russell Wilson. I, I think that's a more accurate comp than um, Drew Breeze, just because there is some athleticism there. Um, no, they are crazy accurate. Uh, but, yeah, I think Russell's probably – the one thing that I don't like that I see from Tua is that he is athletic, but so is Joe Burrow. And one of them is really good at escaping defenders and moving around in the pocket. Tua doesn't have, I guess, that elusiveness to him, which is what concerns me, especially as somebody who is injury prone. <laughs> I don't know that he avoids hits – even though he's that athletic. So, I mean, that would be my concern about Tua, but he's still, I mean, all things considered, if he was healthy, a lot of teams had him over Burrow. Yeah, I'd say the same thing about Tua is it's not necessarily so much the injuries I think teams are worried about, but his injuries, I think, for the most part, have been avoidable. He could have avoided these hits and just didn't. Um, I think, I don't see Herbert sliding past maybe the Chargers at six. Um, I mean, he's six six. And runs a four six. I mean, he's an athletic, big, tall, strong, white West Coast quarterback. Um, teams love these guys, so I, I don't see him sliding at all. Uh, do we see any other quarterbacks go in the first round, Chris? Oh, that's a tough. I'll let James go first on this one. 
So I'm oh man, that's such a tough one. Um I think there is potential with Jordan Love. I, I do he's the only one that you could possibly see going first round. I don't even think you'll see a lot of guys even go in the second except for except for Jordan Love. The comparison with Love and everything that I've seen, everything that I've read, is that he's got all the traits. Like he is athletic, he's elusive, he's got a big arm, he can make these crazy throws, but he's absurdly inconsistent. Um and I've heard people compare him. Could he be this year's Patrick Mahomes? I don't like that at all. Um, Mahomes was a <laughs> baller at Texas Tech. And every, when you watched him on tape, every game you saw a guy who was clearly head and shoulders above everyone that was around him. Jordan Love, there are games you watch where you're like, man, this guy's amazing. There are games you watch where, like, yeah, there's a reason he's playing at Utah State. Um, yeah, I think because he played small ball for the most part, like, the the combine and pro days were huge for him yeah. um, because, like you said, the tape isn't glowingly great for him when he played good competition. Especially this year. Oh. Yeah, it's rough. Guys, another tool that uh, teams like to use when it comes to quarterbacks especially is the old Wonderlick test. Um <laughs> You know, Chris, you may remember we, as our, our fantasy league, took the Wonderlick test one year at the draft. Um, I don't remember what our score was, but it was it was a concern of Tua's that he originally had a score of a 13 when he took the the practice Wonderlick at Alabama. Uh, Richard Sherman says, I don't know if you guys know, but he went to Stanford. He's really smart. <laughs> um, Richard Richard Sherman says that nobody cares about the Wonderlick. Um, I call BS on that. I mean, I'm sorry. Whether you're you're not going to do the bench press and say you don't really care how many you put up. You're not going to run the 40 and say, yeah, I don't really care what what my time is. If you do it, you care. Like, this is your career at the, on the line. Um, but one thing we do know is the offensive linemen have the highest scores. Running backs have the lowest scores. The average quarterback score is a 24. Guys, does the Wonderlick matter at all when it comes to to quarterbacks and predicting their success in the NFL? Um, I think it matters if you're Vince Young awful. <laughs> I think that's the only thing that matters. Just just don't be Vince Young awful. Like I think he scored a six on it, six or eight, one of those two. You single digit for sure. I want to say it was a six. Yeah. Uh, Did, didn't Jim Kelly have like a ten or a twelve or something? Maybe. I, I just think if you're uh, if you're that. Um, if you're on, if you're that bad at it, I think it might outside of that. I don't, I don't care. I, I actually think it does matter. Um, and here's what I'll tell you. I don't think it matters that you do well. I think it matters that you are like kind of Chris said, not like a pet rock. The biggest thing for me, and I think there's a lot to be said about this and I hope that nobody is offended by this and gets their feelings hurt about this. I think that you have to be – that there is a certain level of smart and a certain level of dumb that you need to be to be an effective football player. Um, I think oh, there yeah. are guys who are way too cerebral. Um, I'm a big Packers fan. Uh, I think one of the issues that we faced as an organization that we struggled with was Aaron Rodgers quite literally being smarter than the staff he was working with. And he eventually just got frustrated with it and it caused rifts and problems. I think that you want your quarterback to be 
a little you want him to be a smart guy but i think you need him to kind of be dumb enough to follow along and do what he's got to do um offensive linemen those are guys who have this innate ability they're loyal they're tough uh, they're not going to question things like they do what they're supposed to do. Um, so it's good when they have uh, higher scores because they need to be able to process information and figure out why things work differently. Uh, a 13 wouldn't bother me. Um, no, not at all. I think Justin Herbert ended up with like a 39 or a 35 or something like that, which is crazy. But no, I don't really think it equates as long as you are not Jamarcus Russell or Vince Dunn <laughs> or, you know, I'm trying to think of another guy who did really, really bad on it. Um, well, I mean, to put it in perspective, the average quarterback score in the NFL currently is a 24 of starting quarterbacks. The average Super Bowl winning quarterback over the last 10 years, average score is a 30. Um but if you look at the MVPs, the last 10 uh, quarterbacks that were named MVP, their average score is 26, just slightly higher than the average. Um, Did you say so out of the last 10 years? Last 10 years, the Super Bowl winning quarterback. For the MVP, it was just the last 10 total quarterbacks that won the MVP. So Peyton Manning and Tom Brady holding up a lot of those. Uh, so there, <laughs> there's, there's a couple of similar names there in both of those um, yeah. that are holding it up. So. Well, guys, let's talk about wide receivers as well. Um, there's basically three um, consensus top three wide receivers, but where they go and where they land, um, I think will be highly debated. Partly depending on what you're looking for, um, and then partly depending on which one you think actually projects best to the league. Um, so Bama has two of these receivers. They we got could have had three if Devontae <laughs> Smith went pro. <laughs> they absolutely would have. Uh, man, almost like they're good at football or something. Um, so we got Jerry Judy, CD Lamb, and Henry Ruggs the third, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's got a bunch of numbers behind his name. I know that. Um, James, which one of these three um, has the best NFL career? Um, for me, when you talk about career, I think it's about where you land. Uh, if I if you ask me who I think is going to be the best out of these three, um, I thought at the beginning of the season, halfway through the season, end of the season, I still think it now. I think it's Jerry Judy. Um, Ruggs is really fast. Ruggs is flashy. And I think C.D. Lamb isn't far behind Judy, but the way that Jerry Judy sets up his routes and runs those routes, um, I mean, he is an elite-level route runner. And I think that uh, the more athletic the league gets, the more technical things are going to need to be. Um would you say I like would, a good comp for him would be like Julio, or I don't think he's as physical as Julio. My comp for Judy would probably be, which is weird because I also kind of have a similar comp for CD Lamb. I think it's Devontae Adams. I think these are guys who are, you know, six foot, six foot one. They run really good routes. No, they are not four two, four three guys, but. They get open. They know how to create space, and they do it effectively and efficiently. Um, I think, it, I think it would go. I, I I like them the way they're ranked. I actually, this is one of those rare times where I think they got it right. I think it is Judy Lamb Rugs, um, guys with speed, and the Raiders do a really good job of drafting guys with speed <laughs> who never accomplish anything. Uh, one thing the Raiders. Yeah, one no, thing the I'm Raiders serious. are really good at is identifying at, speed. If you look at the top 1540s run in the in the combine, 
I want to say eight of them have been drafted by the Raiders, <laughs> and they're all bad. It's Adam all Davis. Not if you have a, I mean, at one point the strategy was, if he's fast, we'll figure it out, and then they never figured it out. But um, I don't know if you guys know this, but you can't coach speed. You can't. No, you can't. But you can sure draft a quarterback to miss him by a mile. Um, but no, I mean, I like I like all three. I think all three are going to be great. One thing that concerns me is I think Ruggs is going to have to be he's going to have to be somewhere where they'll do a good job of scheming scheming him open. Um, one of the th- I don't think they're a direct comparison, but one of the things that I think is similar that I saw last year was. Hollywood Brown, everybody, he was fast. He was just this electric guy. Well, he does he does go over the top on the defense, and he will force you to spread out, but there's not much he does in the short game, in the intermediate game. Um, and now I do think Ruggs is more productive on shorter routes and medium routes than, than Brown was, but he can't go to a team where they're just going to say, run downfield and let us throw it to you. I think that's going to be really complicated unless, of course, he lands um, with the Chiefs who are rumored to have been trying to trade up to 14 to actually have a chance to uh, to grab him. So, I don't know. Yeah, I uh, I mean, Judy is a 4-4 guy. Um, I think he's the best wide receiver in the class. He, you know, tr- his first couple years with Bama was a gimmick guy who basically just schemed to get touchdowns. Um, but last year, he basically had a more traditional wide receiver role. Uh, C.D. Lamb has been productive for three years at Oklahoma, 6'2", 200-pound guy. Uh, but teams were a little frustrated. His his combine numbers, he ran a 4, 5, 40, and 11 bench presses, 11 reps in the bench press. Um, and then you got Ruggs, who's 5'11", 4'2", speed, and at Bama scored a touchdown every four touches he had. I think if I'm rugs, my dream location is, is with the Broncos. Um, get me there with, uh, with Cortland, uh, with, um, um, yeah, no, that's yeah. right. Who am you're I thinking right. of? Cortland, Cortland Sutton. Sutton. Yeah, Sutton. Right. Something that had Sutherland in the back of my head, uh, Cortland Sutton. And then you hope you actually get a, a quarterback that can throw you the ball over the next two or three years. Um, but I do think landing spot has a, has a big, uh, big, you know, if Judy goes to the 49ers, he has a great career. If he goes to the Raiders, we may not hear from him after five years. Um, Chris, who's the best wide receiver in this draft? I was going to say Ruggs. Uh, <laughs> I I think he is. Uh, I think he has the potential to be better than Tyreek Hill, and I think that's the direction the NFL is going. Uh, when I watched him at Alabama, he has a gear that literally nobody else on the football field has. Like, what, watching him just go to the next gear is it was phenomenal to watch. Uh, my Jerry Judy comp was Amari Cooper, a guy that can get open, a guy that can be a number one, but a guy that's going to drop passes and be a little frustrating. Uh, that's kind of when I watched Alabama. That's what I saw from Judy. Uh, Lamb, I, I think he could be solid. Uh, Devontae Adams is a fine comp. Uh, I, I was going to go the reverse order. I, went, I would go Ruggs, Lamb, Judy, just because uh, – the drops are a little concerning for me with Judy. He seems to – it's not that he has bad hands. I think it's just a focus thing where it's just like he's just – I mean, last year he kind of was going through the motions. Uh, if, he, I, if I'm if i viewing these wide receivers from a fantasy football perspective, I'd probably go Chris's route. I think Lamb's going to be productive anywhere he goes. I think Ruggs could have one of these years where he has 45 
touches and 10 or 11 touchdowns, um, depending on where he ends up. Um, so yeah, that's some good insight there, Chris. I do think if I'm thinking it from a fantasy perspective, rugs might be my first pick from these guys. Um, I also think rugs, I mean, just, just having a guy that can run by anybody. I, it, it changes the way the defense has to play potentially more so than either, either lamb or Judy. Yeah. I mean, I just look at Tyre, Tyree kill, like with the Titans, the Titans were screwed defensively, uh, in the playoffs because, they they had nobody to compensate for Hill's speed, and if you took another person over there, then Mahomes was just he was literally running. Just I mean his his legs won the game essentially. Uh, so yeah, I think that's the reason I went rugs. Uh, all three will probably have a great career. This wide receiver class is ridiculous deep. You can go twenty twenty five guys that probably should be drafted in the top three, four, or five rounds. So. Yeah, Sports Illustrated called this the best wide receiver draft class ever is is what they're expecting. Um, so, guys, you're Tennessee fans. I'm a Kentucky fan. Both of our teams have a, have a wide receiver going in the draft that there's a lot of unknowns as where they're going to get drafted. Um, so I'll go first with Lynn Bowden. Um, I think he does project as a wide receiver in the NFL. I think he could get drafted anywhere, probably rounds two to four. I think round three is probably most likely for him. Um, you know, most teams I think have him probably as a third or fourth round guy. He's one of these guys who I think actually it helps that he didn't get to, uh, didn't go to the combine, didn't have a pro day. Uh, I don't think his numbers are are all that impressive, um, but his tape I think is pretty impressive. ESPN calls him one of the draft's most intriguing prospects. Uh, pro football. Um, calls him the most fascinating prospect. He won the Paul Horning Award as most versatile player in college football. I think he's a Debo Samuel type. Um, he needs a creative offensive coordinator. He's only 5'11". Um, but he also needs a team that's thin enough at receiver that he can get touches immediately because the dude will get pissed if he's not touching the ball on a regular <laughs> basis, um, as we found at Kentucky when he almost transferred Every third, every third game, he didn't get a touchdown. Um, so I think the ideal spot for him is somewhere, um, possibly the Baltimore Ravens. Um, he could he could instantly step in, uh, be a returner for them, get some touches. Uh, possibly the Bears, although I think they're a little bit um, there's there's a little bit more more congestion there for them. He could um, play quarterback there. Well, and I think that's the thing. Even even with the Ravens is. Lamar has an injury or something, he could step in for a series or two and run quarterback as well uh, in a similar fashion. So um, I'll be curious to see where he goes, but I definitely expect third or fourth round. Where do you guys think uh, Juwan Jennings ends up? I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I'm not – I mean, for me, I think Juwan, whereas Bowden, I think Bowden might last – Till the early to mid fourth, I think Jawan is going to go higher than what a lot of people think. I think uh, originally is projected as a sixth or a seventh. I think he'll meet or he'll follow right behind Bowden, probably around in the fifth, early fifth. Um, I look at a team like the Eagles. Uh, I really like that. They loved Alshon Jeffrey. They like those big physical receivers. I think Alshon Jeffrey, while I don't think. You know, I'm not. I don't think Jawan is as refined in any aspect as Alshon was. I think the type of player they are, the physical uh, nature with which they play the game, are very similar. Um, now, I do think that Philly is going to look for a slot receiver. 
But I think putting our Sega Whiteside, Alshon Jeffrey, and Juwan Jennings all on the field at the same time, I think that's a. I mean, that's a pretty. That's a pretty physical set of receivers. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's he's a confusing prospect because he does all the things that you know you typically need a receiver to do, but he just doesn't do it in a very impressing fashion. Like he's not blazing fast. He's not, but he catches the ball and he breaks tackles. I think he's going to have trouble getting open. Um, uh, we talked about that earlier. Is that I don't think he's going to be able to separate uh, like he needs to. Um, but I don't know. I would like the Eagles for him. I would like the Vikings for him. Um, some somebody like that that really needs a receiver that's going to let him get the opportunities to kind of get the ball and you know try to get him in space and try to allow him to break tackles and do things like that. I'm uh, similar to James on this one. I would probably say somewhere, uh, somewhere between Anquan Bolden and a person you never heard of that's out of the league. <laughs> that's a Jennings spectrum of what it could be. Uh, Let's just call that person Jason Davis, Chris. Okay. There you go. Uh, I think he probably goes in the fourth, fifth round somewhere around there. I, I kind of have this hunch that he's going to go to the Patriots. Uh, he's good on special teams, uh, something the Patriots actually care about, unlike the rest of the league. And, I mean, worst case scenario, he's a special teams player that can go catch a Hail Mary for you if he needs it. So I think the Patriots would probably be a good landing spot. Um, wherever he lands, they need to be somewhere where they can scheme him open because I don't think he's going to get the separation in the league that he needs. So. I think where he lands will determine a lot whether or not he's just a career special teamer or he actually can be a starting wide receiver. So, All right, guys, we're going to do a little rapid fire here. Um, in 1999, the Saints tra- traded their entire draft to trade up to get Ricky Williams. Do we think we're going to see any crazy uh, drafts, any team you know, moving four or five picks to move up into the first round? Chris, yes or no? No. James? Yeah. Uh, I don't know that you'll see it, but I think after the draft, you're going to hear some really insane stories about what somebody, so a couple teams might have offered Cincinnati to uh, get out of that one spot. I mean, seriously, one of the things that I read had Miami giving up all three first rounders, um, a second rounder, and then a first rounder next year. To I get Cincinnati say take yes. It, take it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and that's a trade. Getting to number one is going to require either Cincinnati or the team they're trading with to do something absolutely insane. Uh, that's one of those situations where I think making the trade for number one is uh, you're kind of going to ruin your franchise trying to make your franchise, I think. Um I think a lot of teams do that uh, with trading up to number one, but no, well, I think rumor has s- it the uh, the Redskins have have fielded a few offers of teams trying to trade uh, up for number two. Yeah. yeah, they look. Everything I've read suggests they look at the number two pick like having the number one pick, uh, which I think they should. I think Chase Young is uh, my top three players in the draft in in order are Chase Young, Isaiah Simmons, Joe Burrow. Chris looks frustrated by that. Um, no, it's fair. Oh, okay. But, uh, no, those are my top three players. And I think, um, you know, if you're in those top three picks, 
That's one of the things that I love about this draft is I think the first four picks could all be within minuscule amounts of, of each other in terms of like value. Obviously, quarterbacks hold more value. But if you want to exclude the quarterbacks, I think the gap between Young, Simmons, and Okuda is very small. Uh, if you land them, you're landing a franchise player. So I don't think Agreed. if you're yeah. at four, if you're at two or you're at four, I don't think the value drops on any of those picks because I think you're going to – you can tell another team, anybody that's trading for it, it's like, look, you're trading essentially because you want to get a Hall of Fame football player. And I think that's what all all three of those guys could be. So I do think someone's going to try to do something crazy. I don't know that they'll be able to pull it off. I think teams are going to be a little more hesitant to do it um, over, over you know, the laptops. I mean, you talk about having trouble getting your picks in. Uh <laughs> I can't wait for the clock to run out on a team that was waiting to trade out of, you know, I could see Matt Patricia waiting on a monstrous deal to get out of number three. And then his, his clock runs out and he doesn't have a pick and they move on to New York. Uh, so they won't move on this year. They'll just oh, yeah. pause. Yeah. They're there's going to be some behind the scenes things where there's going to be a quote unquote glitch that I think there's going to be all these conspiracy theories behind the scenes of the NFL saying, Oh no, you drafted this guy. So Bill Belichick could get this guy or, you know, no, you, we didn't get your pick in time. We're waiting for this trade or something. Uh, so James over under five and a half trades in the first round. Oh, it'll be under, uh, actually, you know, I think it will be over because I think, <laughs> and well, I, I, yeah, I thought about that halfway through San Francisco is looking to get rid of both their picks. Um, you know, uh, I know the Green Bay. I know that Green Bay, for me personally, we there is nothing more that we love than trading out of the first round. Or uh, Seattle has a history of doing that. New England, I think New England's going to trade out of it. And the only reason I don't think they will is if AJ Epinesa or Epinesa from Iowa is on the board. I think that'll be their pick at 23 if he's there. But other than that, I think they'll trade out of it. Him or Chase on from LSU. But, um, I mean, I'm not sold that the Lions aren't going to trade out of that. Uh, you know, they do need a replacement for Darius Slay. But Okuda is head and shoulders better than Fulton or, you know, A.J. Terrell or Trayvon Diggs or C.J. Henderson. Yeah. But I I have no doubt that, you know, somebody offers um, Matt Patricia a one and then a couple, a two and a four that he would take it. Um I'm going to go with the over. I'm going to go with the over on it. Chris, over, under. I'm going over. The last two years, uh, two years ago, I think there were seven trades. Last year, there were six trades in the first round. Uh, I'm going over. There's going to be a couple of trades trying to get quarterbacks in the early part of the first round. Uh, and then, as you said, once you get once you get to pick 25 or so, you got teams looking to trade out. Give me, give me next year's first and maybe a third or something just to – that's the Bill Belichick special right there. Let me, I'll trade out the first if you give me next year's first plus some, some more. Uh, so yeah, there's going to be more, I think. And the and big I, thing is how thin the market for uh, tackles is in this year's draft. I think everybody's going to scramble to get them, get them while they're on the board. I think there's actually a chance. Oh, uh, Mr. Belichick trades into the first round. He's got a ton of draft capital, and if everybody's trying to trade out. Um, he's, he knows it's, it's cheap to get back in this year. So I actually think he may, um, trade back into, um, get, get a couple different picks here in the first round. If, um, if Tua falls, I mean, that's the natural landing spot right there. Yeah. I don't, I don't, 
That's such a terrible thought. <laughs> <laughs> you are one pathetic loser, Chris. I would be like, and look, like I don't have a personal issue with the Patriots. Like, honestly, it's impressive. You'll never see something like it again. But for them to lose Brady and Gronk for a fourth round pick. I mean, the fourth round's better than nothing there. I would let him stay retired for a fourth round pick. I would tell him to go sit his ass on a cruise. And I'll wait it out. I don't care. Um, no, but the issue there was is that it, when he announced he's coming back for retirement, he still counts $10 million against the cap. And the Patriots have about $1 million left in cap. So him coming back screwed him either way. Gronk knew he had them by the balls, I guess. But um, no, if New England was somehow able to get to a – and then COVID comes out, and we're all back to normal, and they evaluate his medicals. And they're like, oh, yeah, his hip's completely fine. In fact, it's way better than it's ever been. And then he just goes on to win four more Super Bowls. I think I would lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you and Matt Hickman both. Um, all right, guys. So let's talk briefly here about what you want from your teams in the draft. Uh, for me as a Bengals fan, it's pretty easy. Uh, we want Joe Burrow with the first pick. And then I want nothing but offensive linemen and wide receivers for him to throw to. Load up on offense. We, rumor has it, hired an offensive genius as a head coach. Um, he, he went from quarterback coach to head coach for the Bengals. So I don't even know what his play calling is like. So I he want to. Va- he went on vacation with Sean McVay one time, right? Yes. <laughs> they were in the same PTA. Um. I don't think his wife is from the same country Sean McVay's is, though. Um, but I want to load up on offense, find out if this coach can can do this or not. Can he score points or not? Let's just get this whole um, whole scenario over with in two or three years. If it works, great. If it doesn't, let's move on. Um, but I could care less what we do on defense. We got to have linemen. Um, our line sucks. We've let guys walk because we didn't want to pay them. Um, we gonna, we're going to need some wide receivers because there's a good chance A.J. Green decides to not put a hand up uh, to catch a pass this year. So the Bengals just need to load up on offensive talent um, and then see what happens this year and then hopefully move on from this coach if it's not working out here and give him, give him probably two more years. James, you're a Packers fan. What do the Packers need to do? So our biggest three needs um, are – Inside linebacker, uh, tackle, offensive tackle, and receiver. Um, the difficult, the the biggest issue for us is that two of those positions are so thin that I think it's going to force us to take one early. Um, for example, I don't think Patrick Queen's going to be on the board. I'm really not sure. I think Kenneth Murray's going to end up in New Orleans. So as far as inside linebackers. I don't know that we're going to be able to take one. Offensive tackle, we've got to have one. I mean, um, protecting the quarterback is as important as giving him something, somebody to throw to. Uh, receiver, I think that's one that we're going to end up – we're going to put a heavy emphasis on. And now the Packers have come out and said that they're going to take one early. I just – they've talked about Jalen Rieger would be my dream pick. I would love to have Jalen Rieger. I mean, he's another one of these guys that's 4-3 um, slot receiver. Um, 
He's the kid from TCU, right? He's the kid from TCU, yeah. Um, but coincidentally, also a side of that is if you know Rieger's not there and they can't really get the deal they want out of trading out of it, they're talking about drafting his teammate, Ross Blacklock, um, getting another interior defensive lineman. Uh, when they played San Francisco last year, granted they couldn't put up any points, but uh, they ran right through him um, like one of those banners you see at high school football games. <laughs> That's actually accurate. They like, what, eight pass attempts the whole game? Yeah, I mean, literally, it was eight pass attempts, and at one point, Raheem Mostert, I think, was averaging 12.7 yards per carry. Um, I, I was, It was really bad, but um, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. I do think they'll try to trade out of, uh, I think it's number 30 that we're at. I think they'll try to get another second-round pick and probably add something in the fourth, but um, if I was picking first, I think I would definitely try to go with um, – uh, Jalen Rieger, if he was there, or Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen, if if they if we got lucky enough that they were on the board. All right, Chris. What uh, are the yeah, it's going to do the, to make their Super Bowl run this year. Well, I mean, they they cut close last year. I think they're still a few pieces away. Uh, as far as their first round pick, I, I hope they take the tackle out of USC or the cornerback out of Auburn. Uh, both of those guys have a very high ceiling uh, and a very questionable floor. Uh, and I think in the late first round, I mean, especially with the fifth-year option plus a franchise on top of it, you essentially have six years of control if they're good. Uh, and those guys could could grow. And outside of that, they, they Titans can always use an, another wide receiver, another edge. they got to draft a running back. Like, that's going to happen uh, probably in the third round, if I had to guess. Second or third round, one of those two. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to take running back, uh, wide receiver, edge, and a corner. I think that's basically their biggest need. So please take one of the tackles or corners that I want. That's my only goal in the first round. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, well, that's our breakdown of the NFL draft. Um, I'm going to let James give you guys a little preview. He's got some inside knowledge about college football in 2020. Um, James, let the people know as of here, the end of April, what you're projecting college football to look like this fall. You can tell people what your current job is too. Oh yeah. Um, I'm the director of football operations for Gardner Webb university. Um, for the most part, guys, we don't get, you know, any different information than what you guys get. Uh, we just hear a little more of what people are planning on doing for us right now. I know that we're trying to plan our summer one courses as if they're going to happen with the expectation that they won't. Um, uh, a lot of people are pushing for campuses to be open in the fall. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I really don't think, because if you don't start these kids in the end of August, if you can't put them all at the end of August, you can't ask them to come back to campus after Thanksgiving or halfway through October. Like it's just not going to be feasible to do that. Um, I don't know what the season's going to look like. I do think that worst-case scenario, they will push it to February. They'll play it at the NFL. I think will absolutely play. Uh, I don't. I've got no questions about that. But where you run into in college is if you're gonna say campus is closed because it's not safe for students, but we're gonna have sports because it's somehow safer for student athletes. I think that's where you toe that line of how amateur amateur college football is which we all know it's not 
Um, when you get it to a certain level, it's not amateur sports anymore. Uh, but I don't think the NCAA would be willing to kind of so blatantly um, put that out there. Uh, I, I do think that if we do get on this fall, you will see a revised schedule. I think you'll see the elimination of conference game or non-conference games, um, things like that. I think you might see an eight-game schedule. You play your conference best at the end of the eight games, plays the conference championship. I don't know that you're going to get bowl games. I think bowl games, uh, because of the logistics of different rules in different states, um, there's so much that goes into it as far as, you know, um, what if California is still closed, but George is not. Hey, James, what's our bowl games are going to do that's making like 600K a year? <laughs> uh, yeah, bowl games are a big draw. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, um, you're talking about like, I don't know, like the Hillshire Farms Bowl or something like that. <laughs> Where it's like your gift is probably like a backpack made out of ham. I was wanting to go to the Bahamas Bowl this year. There's yeah, some great Reddit so stories about it. I have zero. I have zero doubt that the Bahamas Bowl would take place if uh, the NCAA will allow it. The Bahamas, um, they're all about it. Uh, but um, I don't know. It's gonna be difficult. I don't think college campus president. The the issue is that it's left up to the presidents where the NCAA governs this body of athletics, nobody really governs these universities except for, in a lot of cases, you know, states. But it's it's one of those things where if Alabama opens and Ohio doesn't, does Alabama then get to compete for a national championship and Ohio is just not playing that season? Like it, it, We all know Alabama would claim it. <laughs> Alabama would play it. I mean, well, and even even that though, let's say Alabama p- opens up, but Kentucky doesn't. Is the yep. SEC going to let Alabama play the Western schedule, right. but not the? You know, like, you have college presidents, but you also have go- state governors. I mean, there's so many people that all have to agree to this thing. That well, we all know, we all know that anybody who's in the state of Georgia is going to be playing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there. Uh, I'm. I'm serious too. We're supposed to play Georgia Tech. That's our money game this year, and I, 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 I will not say that I necessarily think it was a smart idea. I won't say that it's a great idea, but I will say uh, the state of Georgia reopening was really good news for our athletic budget. At least um, we were thrilled to hear that Governor Kemp uh, has deemed his state safe enough for us to come play football in. So. <laughs> good news good stuff guys we'll be back at it next week with episode 37 or 38, 38 i'm sorry episode 38 but this was the aging Dion sanders and the in his prime sean alexander of podcast episode 37 of the sports nuts and beer guts Tell all the hunters to lay down their guns. Tell them that the tiger needs a little bit of love. Let them run the jungle. Let them roam their land. Then stand back and marvel what a beautiful pet. Cause I saw a tiger. Tiger Song
but the law wants to ban me. Can you tell me who's wrong? Every time they move, every time they breathe, I can feel their power.